Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller. It's good to be with you tonight. Uh, Today we're going to jump into uh, the riddle of the angel of the Lord. So let's get Aaron in the saddle and give his opening comments for this uh, most controversial topic indeed. Aaron? All right, so we have in the Old Testament a certain being known as the angel of the Lord. Okay, so we know in the New Testament, um, usually it just says an angel of the Lord, like Gabriel was not like the one, but we know in the Old Testament there's there's an angel just called specifically the angel of the Lord. So, and and, and um, when it says the Lord there, it has the tetragrammaton, which is the four letters of God's name, often... Um, Translated as either Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, we've done a show on this before. It would probably um, be the name Yaho, but uh, we prefer not to pronounce the name because we don't know. So, um, with with that said, this this entity there's there's a huge controversy on whether or not this being is not not uh, an angel, but actually the pre-incarnate Christ. And uh, I was raised up uh, by my dad here. He he always told me, no, that's quite blasphemous, that Jesus is God, not an angel. Uh, and but other people say, oh, well, you can translate that word as simply a messenger rather than an angel. But it bothers me with the fact that whenever they say that, they continue to use the translation angel rather than messenger. So, uh, so... Really, I've done some interesting studies, and, you know, they do have quite an argument, because in the Old Testament, he is often, this angel, angel is often equated with God, so people wonder, is, is this a pre-incarnate Christ? I, I have also seen it suggested that this is a pre-incarnate, um, well, this is a incarnation of the Holy Spirit, because we know, um, that the Holy Spirit can take a physical form, a bodily form, as it did in, as it took on the form of a dove. Luke 3, verse 22 says that the Holy Spirit took a bodily shape, like the dove, or literally something physical. So, the Holy Spirit can take a physical form, so it, it's, it's, it's possible that the Holy Spirit could take the form of an, uh, of an angel. But, another interesting point is, is, is it possible that Jesus incarnated himself as an angel before he was incarnated as a man? And then another point, which I was raised to believe, that it is not um, God at all. It was simply just a very an angel with a very high authority. But with that, why is he equated with God? So that's 
that's kind of the opening uh, comments on uh, opening arguments on on this angel. So, what do you say about that? Well, certainly, uh, we have always had people that that have stated that this uh, particular angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Christ. Now, this idea of a uh, well. Really, what you're talking about is an embodied Holy Spirit. That's that's really the best way to put that. Uh, most people today have this fresh in their mind, the idea of a disembodied spirit. Well, that is the exact opposite of what happened there uh, with the Holy Spirit uh, as it took the form of a dove and lighted on Christ, as some translations say. But, so just for context of modern terminology. It's best to say a pre-embodied Holy Spirit. Now that raises some controversy all in itself. But uh, take note that uh, a lot of times you're not going to be able to toe the line here. Uh, we started out this diatribe, Aaron, uh, between you and I uh, with this uh, article on Blue Letter Bible. Now, I take note that it uses instances that uh, the particular phrase involved is not there. Uh, it just doesn't. Um, and, and people need to know that this is where the rubber really hits the road. You have Genesis chapter 16, it's there, and Genesis chapter 22. Uh, and those two chapters is the specific phrase. However, uh, here... Uh, it says um, in this article on Blue Letter Bible that it's also in Genesis 18. Well, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. Uh, that is a phrase altogether different, and, and I mean entirely different. So uh, when you take a look at the details indeed, you have to get to the point where uh, it is what it is, and we're going to cover... Uh, of that too, we, we need to separate uh, those things and, and realize that, well, this particular angel, when mentioned in this way, it's, it does raise your eyebrows as to what's going on and why he's doing what he's doing and saying what he's saying. Uh, but there in the case in point, uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, that does not say the angel of the Lord. That's not what it says. It uses uh, something else. That That's a different phrase. Now, it does state uh, the YHVH, the Tetragrammaton. It does say that. But does not use the definitive uh, form there for uh, angel. Uh, so it's, it's, it's switching it up some. Uh, it's not the exact phrase that we're looking at. Uh, so that creates some consternation as well, is just exactly when is this exact phrase used. So lots of controversy surrounding this, but this angel does have, well, some really interesting uh, attributes associated to him. So Aaron... Um, what are your thoughts about what we're really talking about? Should we regulate this to the exact phrase 
and take those instances on, or should we do something else? Is this angel of the Lord, in your opinion, is he mentioned in more than one way? Because you have some text that says, well, it has the, the Tetragrammaton there, but then it has Elohim there, or Elohim, as some people state, and that's something altogether different. So, your thoughts on that, Aaron? Okay, so... I've come to this conclusion that the name Elohim and uh, YHVH in Hebrew both refer to the Trinity. So they don't refer to any one member of the Godhead. This is all three. So um, I did the, a pretty hardcore study on this. I, I wrote some papers that you can see on uh, my dad's website. He, I'm, I'm sure he has this in the description of the show in the show notes. So I've come to that conclusion that uh both Elohim and YHVH both specifically refer to the Trinity. However, Elohim can also has also multiple times in scripture been used to refer to angels. So um I guess if you were to say angel of Elohim, you could really be saying the angel of angels. Um so uh that that's 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 an idea that this is that that if you were to say the point of saying the angel of Elohim as apart from the angel of YHVH could also be rather saying the angel who is over all other angels. So you could say that. So um that that's a that's that that's the point I have. Uh so so really let's just Let's just give some key uh, verses to what, to why people think that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate form of one of the members of the Godhead, one of the Trinity. Uh, we have Genesis 16, verse 10. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, that they cannot be counted for multitude. So, so God himself often said that um, to the patriarchs. And here we're saying we're seeing an angel like this, and we're saying it's saying that this angel himself is the one who's going to multiply the offspring of Hagar, uh, who is uh, Abraham's concubine, the mother of Ishmael. And then later she says, uh, "You are the God who sees me." In verse thirteen, so she believed that it seems that she believes that that this being was actually God himself. Uh, however, like I said, Elohim can also refer to to an angel, so really the verse says, verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord, YHVH, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. So, that's quite intriguing. So it's saying, so it's implying that there's like more than one YHVH and specifically, this YHVH is the one that she was speaking to. Is is that like what you could draw from that verse right there? That's exactly what you could draw from. As a matter of fact, you could really come to no other logical, deductive conclusion that, well, the Lord He is God, and uh, this reverts back to uh, the simple fact that the New Testament loudly proclaims – there's no debating it in Greek – what exactly we are. 
we are three parts make us up, yet each of those parts is us. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's saying that, well, that there is one that is speaking to her, and that, being the Tetragrammaton, he is part of the Trinity. <laughs> uh, you could most certainly draw concise, clear lines of reasoning with just this, just this one discourse between this this particular angel and uh, well Hagar. The conversation they're having here. Back to you. Okay, so the next time is in Genesis chapter thirty-two when Jacob wrestled with uh, a man, quote-unquote, it appears later in Scripture to have been an angel that he wrestled with. And uh, when he met this angel, that according to Genesis chapter 32, verse 30, Jacob named the, place, the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So he believed that he saw God face to face, and he called him Peniel. Okay, again, he could have said, I've seen an angel face to face, as Elohim can be used for that too. But, um, but still, that, that point still stands. And that name Peniel, the, the, the Greek rendition of that is Phanuel. And in the book of Enoch, we have in, uh, Enoch chapter 40, verse 9, it names four angels, the first three, Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, and the fourth is Phanuel, and it describes it as this. He who is set over the repentance, repentance unto the hope of those who will, who will inherit eternal life is named Phanuel. So, really, that's a pretty, pretty interesting point to see right there. And so how do, how, how do we interpret it? So, pretty um, clearest description of whom I always call the Exodus angel, or the angel of the Lord. Okay, so this is what Exodus 23, verse 20 to 23 says. I am going to send an angel in front of you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you listen attentively to his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. When my angel goes in front of you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, I will blot them out. So here it says he was able, this angel was able to forgive transgression, but but catch this. It says God's name was in him. So perhaps when it says, when the Hebrew says Ma'ak, uh, Yaho, or having the Tetragrammaton, what if it's really saying the angel Yaho, or the angel named Jehovah? So really, this angel's name—he literally bears the name of God, and you can see that in a lot of Jewish texts, especially the third book of Enoch. Even though I don't believe it has any authenticity ascribed to it at all, it's pretty interesting to see that when you read through it, 
that there are certain angels of very high authority described in there. The angels with the highest authority have the Tetragrammaton as part of their name. So, it, so they interpreted it this way, that, that this angel is rather a very, very high angel in authority, so he bears the name of God. And when he bears the name of God, he has authority to do things. So formerly I was always saying that he, that he was just, he is a normal angel, but the highest angel in rank. So that's interesting, but but yeah, we still have that point that he said that he himself would would multiply the descendants. So um, any thoughts on that? What do you think? Well, this harpens back to what is also stated when when questioned, what is your name? And he states, "Why do you ask me my name? It's 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 wonderful, uh, literally. Uh, that's what it says in the Greek. Uh, is is wonderful, and it's it's kind of startling when you look at that. And that now we have uh, multiple verses where uh, this exact word is used uh, in the Septuagint and the Adidorgia both." Um, so it kind of makes you back up whenever he 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 states this, and that's in uh, uh, Judges thirteen uh, verses eighteen. Uh, when questioned, uh, this is his response. But the angel of the Lord said to him, "Why do you ask me my name, seeing that it is wonderful?" That exact case and form of that Greek word is used multiple times in the New Testament. Um, so that kind of makes you go, huh? Uh, this uh, this particular word being uh, G twenty two ninety eight. Literally, it 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 means wonderful. So taking a look at that, um, uh, especially the scene in heaven in Revelation chapter fifteen, really does make you go, huh? Uh, I'll just read this out of the New American Standard Bible here. Uh, it says, marvelous. Uh, when I saw another sign in heaven, great and wonderful, that's it, that's the word right there, seven angels who had the seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. There it is right there, that same exact word. Well, it's also used um, in reference to um, Christ himself in Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, to unto us a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So it, it is a pretty big argument here, because that, that word peli, to use wonderful or secret, um, um, is the same word that that angel used in reference to his name. And also, when it says Prince of Peace, the word for Prince is Sar. And Sar is used specifically for archangels in the Old Testament. So, that is kind of an argument pointing towards it being the pre-incarnate Christ. Yes, you, you definitely could draw lines to it being a, well, uh, to the pre-incarnate Christ. But, um, well, specifically... This embodiment is only seen in that dove, and that would be a pre-embodied Holy Spirit. So, uh, yes. Well, the main reason why I always argue against it being the pre-incarnate Christ is because of the book of Hebrews. What the book of Hebrews says, it says, 
um, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, um, and I'll read on to verse 5, and it says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the ex- the express of image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on a, a the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So it's it's like clearly differentiating, and, and it, it goes out of its way to differentiate um, the pre-incarnate Christ, or Christ himself from angels. Right, and that's that's why I say that. This this very passage, I mean this entire chapter. I mean, he comes right to the point and said, "No. Um uh the son is certainly separate. Uh Christ is certainly separated from them." Uh period. So, uh, that's why I have always uh, based what I have taught off this singular event here in Hebrews chapter 1. And nobody likes to hear that, but I always state that and I always just let it lie. Um, no, saying that Jesus is an angel, you are lowering him. You are reducing him in stature uh, to become just an angel uh, like all the other of God's messengers. So that's why I've always stated this, and we can read this chapter in its entirety, and it makes a point-blank case. And that's exactly like every, um, it's saying this type of thing is what has given birth to many cults, like, um, to, like specifically the Jehovah's Witness and the, and the Mormons, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints is that they lower him to simply an angel rather than God himself. And uh, whenever I read that type of thing, the, the, what really stands out to me is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, the word for messenger is the same as angel in both Hebrew and Greek, it says, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here, um, this is used to describe John the Baptist in the New Testament. Matthew 11, verse 10, uh, Mark verse 1, verse 2, Luke 7, verse 27. It's all used to point directly to um, John the Baptist. And why is this special? Because when it says, sending my messenger ahead of you to prepare the way, goes back in the original Hebrew, goes to, guess what? Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. I'm going to send my angel in front of you. In the Hebrew, that's exactly what it says. So, if you were to say anything, if the angel of the Lord was ever incarnated to anything, it would have been John the Baptist, not Jesus. Exactamundo. That's the only way I have to put that, is that single epitaph, exactamundo. Now, everybody else is like, what? What did you just say? Well, yeah, that's that's what I meant. Now, 
when you look at the Hebrew and realize that what just came out of Aaron's mouth is the case. That's exactly the same phrase used of that angel there. That same phraseology is used of John the Baptist. It makes you, okay, slam on the brakes, put the parking brake on, stop the bus. Stop the bus. Now, when you take a look at those verses of what happened to uh, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, uh, well, it's kind of startling. Uh, what happens? Uh, the, the, well, reaction of what goes on. And it absolutely takes you by surprise when you look at the text itself, when you relax your mind, when you get all the garbage out of it, and just look at the text. It's enough to blow you away what is being inferred here. Well, notice this. Um, it calls uh, okay. This is this is the description of the uh, of what Gabriel says to Zechariah, the father of of John the Baptist, when he gives the description of it. And Luke verse one verse eleven calls Gabriel an angel of the Lord. I'm just going to point that out. And it says an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the al the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall give his name John. He will give joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with who? The Holy Spirit, while he was in his mother's womb. Now, a point I want to ask you. So you're saying that here the name Abra the name of Gabriel is given, and it's stated that that is the angel of the Lord. Is that what you're saying? Oh, well, he he's, his name isn't given till um, the angel the he's called the angel of the Lord in the beginning, but he doesn't give his name as Gabriel until Zechariah challenges it. Now, just to make a an, an unsettling point. Um, that in one, <laughs> let me ask you this. Have you looked at the text in depth enough to see if there were two angels or not, if there wasn't an angel of the Lord and Gabriel there? I have not. So this is to be left open just a little bit. I mean, we could read the diatribe in English, but that's really not going to cut it. It's, it's, it's really not. But. To make a long story short, um, this is a great point of contention here. Is is this angel of the Lord named Gabriel? Now, like like I said, uh, <laughs> when you look at it, it, it does mention Gabriel, the, the name Gabriel, in verses 19 and 26. It certainly says Gabriel. No doubt about it. Now, Aaron, which verse did you say that that specific phrase was in of the angel of the Lord? Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Okay, so when we go up to verse 11, okay, a lot of things are going on. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. Now, as you get deep into it, um, it doesn't make clear as to whether this is the angel 
that is Gabriel or not. It, it doesn't make itself clear. It says that when Zacharias saw that angel, i.e. the angel of the Lord, fear gripped him. Now, then it says an angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for the petition has been heard and your wife will bear a son. You will give him the name John. So I'm just making this, this clear case that um, when you keep reading, it's not until verse 19 that Gabriel is actually named. Okay? And when you realize that, uh, <laughs> you realize, well, there could be an angel of the Lord standing there and Gabriel as well. But also, take the point, what what how, what the angel says of himself, verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have sent, been sent to right. you to speak to you to, spree, to bring you this good news. Is this word for presence the same as uh, as ahead of? Well, when you switch it, uh, uh, yes, G, uh, what, 1798 or 99? Uh, what, what, what case would that be? Um, well, as you're looking at that, did you not hear what you just read? Let, <laughs> let me read it again, son. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God i.e., this angel was making himself known because it wasn't the angel of the Lord. This was the angel that was with the angel of the Lord. This is why he announces his name right here. Because he's saying, hey, I'm Gabriel, and I'm the angel that is with him, as he points where? Where would Gabriel have pointed to? Go back up to verse 11. He was pointing to the right hand of the altar of incense where the angel of the Lord was standing. Do, do you understand what I'm saying now? That's possible. No, it, it, That's possible. More than possible. That, that's actually what just happened. <laughs> but um, people don't see it. They don't take the time to take a deep breath and realize, oh, that's why Gabriel announced himself now, because he steps in to talk, and it's not the angel, which is at the right hand of the altar. The angel standing there is the angel of the Lord. And Gabriel says, uh, by the way, I'm the angel that's with the presence of God all the time. That's what he just said. That he, he just he just admitted that that's what, it, that that's what he was. Now, have you had time to look at verse 19 and really look at uh, G1799 for that Greek word for in the presence of God? So I just looked it up and um, it's the same in verse 15 and 17. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Verse 17. He will go as a forerunner before him. Yes. In the spirit and power of Elijah. Right. So this is both used in reference to um, John the Baptist himself. Right. Which, what I'm trying to say is this. Prophetically, beyond any shadow of a doubt... What the angel of the Lord and Gabriel just explained to Zacharias was, hey, check this out, man. The Messiah, he's going to come, and he's going to be like, well, God, okay? But your son, he's going to be like me. And I'm Gabriel. I've, I'm in his presence. There's got to be a witness, right? So 
So, me, Gabriel, I'm explaining to you that your son, John, he's going to be like me. But he is going to be the forerunner. He's going to see. He's going to, to um, uh, uh, <laughs> well, this particular, when you break this word apart in the Greek, you're going to see exactly because it's, uh, the latter part of it is G3700. Um, your son is going to play my part, Gabriel, in this scheme, in this schemata. And that's exactly what happens later when Jesus comes to him to be baptized. And John's like, what? No, 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 no. You are the lamb. You're, you're the one. You should be baptizing me. And he says this diatribe in basically reverse fashion. But nobody stops to smell the roses as to why Gabriel doesn't speak up into verse 19. Because it is... You have to understand that Zechariah, he doesn't know anything about the forerunner. He's expecting the angel of the Lord, which is where? Right beside, he's the right of the altar. He's expecting him to say, you're getting the Messiah is getting ready to be born. Do you understand? Gabriel has to step in and say, no. No, 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 no. Your son's not going to be the one. Your son's going to be like me. And he will stand in the presence of the Messiah. Now, <laughs> when you... Okay. So, um... So I'm going to make this interesting. Okay. So... <clears throat> If the angel of the Lord is Michael, as people say, is it possible that um, that John the Baptist is a, was an incarnation of of Michael? Is, is is there any valid points to that, or would you just shoot that out of the air? I would completely shoot that out of the air. <laughs> completely, I would not even hesitate. I'd completely shoot that out of the air. But like in, in Malachi, that that verse that calls that. That messenger, that angel, as the messenger or angel of the covenant, and isn't Michael the angel of the covenant, or am I just reading far into that as in uh, in the book of Daniel? Well, I, I'm not suggesting that you are reading too far into that. You're bringing up some valid points. However, give me precedence for that. I need precedence for it. Now we've already eliminated. Well, the, the only thing, the only argument that I can have for it is in Jude when it says that the the angel of the where Michael the archangel was disputing with Satan over the body of Moses, and he says, um, "Lord, rebuke you." The only time we see that in any other times in the Bible is is in the book of Zechariah when Je, when Jeshua is who is a Levite just like Moses. Um, and Satan is disputing over him, and the angel of the Lord is there, saying, "Lord, rebuke you." So that's the only this that's my that's the only point that I come to to say that the angel of the Lord is is Michael by connecting those two passages. And to that I say this: Thank the good Lord we have Hebrews chapter one. And when you peer into Hebrews chapter one. It's not giving you what you want. Um, it's not giving you what you want at all. So we can saying that John the Baptist is, is is the same as Michael the Archangel. Right, right. Now, one thing that is a very 
uh, uh, disturbing correlation is we don't have the end of the equation that is Elisha. Yeah, really what happened, that's really what stands out to me, is that Elijah was taken up to heaven, but he gave a portion of his spirit to Elisha, and that same wording is given towards um, uh, John the Baptist that says he will have the spirit and power of Elijah. So to me, that just that, that implies to me that that portion of, of Elijah that went to Elisha also went to John the Baptist. Uh, and, and yes, it is Jewish tradition that that um that Mike that Elijah when he went into heaven he became an angel an angel named as us in dolphin and so I, I guess you could play around to say that maybe uh Sandolphin became John the Baptist or something like that but that, that's we could be reading into that too far as well but all this we do know it any of any incarnation there's we're not told clearly that there's an incarnation of an angel here but we are told that john the baptist was filled with the holy spirit in the womb so the, could that really point to the fact to the idea that the angel of the lord is the holy spirit this is what i would argue i would argue the simple fact that the angel of the lord is the holy spirit beyond any definition beyond any debate because Hebrews chapter 1 says, no, Christ, he is the king, and he was never an elevated angel. No, no, that's not what John chapter 1 says. Okay, he's not no elevated angel. No, no, that, that's not what the Bible says. No, no, it don't. So, the only other thing you can come up with is, hey, wait a minute. We know who can embody themselves. We know proof beyond any shadow of a doubt from the presence of all the aforementioned people. In the presence of John the Baptist and in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit did what? Took on the form of a dove and landed on Jesus. So, that makes you stop... And and really, that would be why, if, if why at all, he would be called an angel, because we've talked about this before. An angel uh, it seems to be a disembodied spirit, but it can take a physical form. So whether, I mean, we're not saying that that the Holy Spirit is an angel, but he is, it's very easy to equate him with one because he can do the same things. Agreed. And, and, it really gets gets amazing when, look, Aaron, when you talk about the Holy Spirit and you ask somebody, hey, describe me something about the Holy Spirit, there's only one thing they have to say to you. The tongues, right? Ah, yes. The tongues of flame. Now, you can literally plug one and two the other when you look at the instance you mentioned in Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Now, this ain't the only time um, fire is associated uh, with the Holy Spirit, but it is most definitively associated with the Holy Spirit in the opening 
uh, of Pentecost, correct? Um, and you will take note that this is uh, after, of course, John the Baptist was already long dead, long since dead. So here you have a direct plug in the cord to the outlet connection between the Holy Spirit, this angel of the Lord, uh, and flame. Uh, what is your comments about that? Yeah, I found it quite interesting that that was your... You, you once um, described to me that that was like the Pentecostal event that happened before. Like the the, the first uh, covenant was established. The, the Literally, the New Testament was technically established when... I mean, the Old Testament was technically established when the, the with the with the burning bush, and that was the form, basically like the Pentecost type event where the Holy Spirit went forth um, in the in the form of a burning fire. And then since then, you know, we have Moses becoming a prophet, and then we have prophets until you know, and then prophets eventually died out, and then. It comes back again with, you know, a Pentecost type event. Well, with actually Pentecost. Well, now you're forgetting one, not just the prophets, the judges. Let, let's go back to the same event, okay? Because this is reciprocated. Well, I mean, arguably, arguably, judges were prophets. Well, right, but 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 let's go to the proof text, okay? Because uh, whether you like it or not, uh, Manoah, uh, he has an angel come to his wife, say, "Hey, man, uh, we're going to make you." Uh, uh, the father of a uh, deliverer, yada, 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 yada. Judges chapter 13, verse 20. For it came about that when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord, yes, that's the exact uh, phrase in Hebrew once again, the angel of the Lord ascended in what? In the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. So, third time's a charm. I mean, I'm 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 sorry to throw this up in everybody's face. Third time is a charm. That this angel, the angel of the Lord, is associated directly with the flame. Uh, uh, so, your thoughts about that? Because really, is there any debating that? This angel of the Lord wants you to know that he specifically is in associating in the coming and the going with flame through the Look, look. It states most emphatically in the Hebrew that the angel of the Lord spoke through the flame as the bush was burning. Here, the angel of the Lord ascended from the flame of the altar, went up through the flame. And in Acts, of course, we know that it descended. It did the opposite thing that happened to Manoah and his wife. Opposite thing. That the flame come down as tongues on each one of them and they were, well, they were consumed, actually. They were consumed by the Holy Spirit. So, it's really the exact opposite thing that happened to that burning bush is what happened to uh, the 120 in the upper room at Pentecost. Uh, really, it was the exact opposite thing. So it's absolutely wonderful to me 
to look at it in this way, but very difficult text and, and hard things to stomach. It's it's hard things to understand, but uh, really, uh, in my opinion, the answers to all these things always lied in Luke. It it just always did. It always lied in Luke. You go to Luke chapter 1, and you go to verse 11, you go to verse 19, and go to verse 26, and he makes himself clear. And it makes itself clear that if the angel of the Lord had been speaking, then the person being spoken to would have thought they were talking about the Messiah. And this is the whole reason why Gabriel, uh, why Gabriel steps in and says, well, hey, I'm going to talk now, and, and, and I'm not the angel of the Lord. I'm Gabriel. I'm the one that stands in the presence of God or the face of God, however you want to put that. That's why I'm talking to you, and that's what your son's going to be. Your son's going to be like me. So when we take this into context, what happens in Genesis chapter uh, 18, you have these angels that are uh, bebopping around with the Lord God of hosts. Now, that case in particular, I would more to say, is the point you're talking about Gabriel and Michael. And I'll even say this. Why did Michael go down in that valley? Well, he had to make sure that the seed of the promise made it out of that valley. So uh, that's the whole reason why Michael had to be there was to cover that covenant of the children of the promise. So that's my thoughts. And no, uh, based off of Hebrews, the first chapter, uh, Jesus is not the angel of the Lord. No, I say... It is the pre-embodiment of the Holy Spirit, not the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, the, one of the main things that made made me, you know, question that idea that Jesus is that pre-incarnate Christ is the way the angel of the Lord speaks in the Old Testament, because his language doesn't match up with Jesus of the New Testament, like the way he talks, like his wordage isn't quite the same to me. In a, in, in a way that I would be able to say, oh, it's the same person. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. Emphatically, that is the case. I mean, Jesus always went out of his way to make sure you could tell when it was him talking. I.e. his catchphrases, like, um, the son of man. Surely I say to you. Right. Or, of course, we have some translations, barely I say, but yes, you, you get the point. You have catchphrases. Christ is going to let you know. And that is foundational for this study. It's foundational. You should be able to cross-reference those red letters and see reflections of those red letters in what the angel of the Lord is saying. You don't. Not in any point you don't. You don't. And Christ always speaks with authority. He's always definitive. And when you take a look over what is stated uh, about the angel of the Lord and, and his speaking and the way he words things, no, that's, that's, no. They do not match up. The phrases, the language, no, it, it doesn't jive. It just don't. So, um, you just have to, to, to realize here, uh, man, there's a whole lot going on. Uh, 
And I know it's taking people by surprise, but this word there um, that is used of Gabriel, this is Gabriel's own words. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. That is G1799. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, literally, uh, that means the eye or the face. I mean, it <laughs> it comes... <laughs> look, please look this up. It's important that you do so. And once you realize that what he said, what G1799 is, is G1722, uh, which is N in Greek, and a derivative of 3700. To gaze, to look at. Uh, it's where we get the word optical from. Optomi. Optomi. Means to look, to gaze at. So, literally speaking, the answer to the equation, in my opinion, was right there in Luke chapter 1, verses 11, 19, and 26. And it was literally staring you right in the face. You just couldn't swallow it. But literally, it tells you that the angel of the Lord, he was standing right on the right side of the altar. Gabriel was obviously walking around talking, making sure that Zacharias didn't think that his son was going to be the Messiah. That was the whole purpose of Gabriel speaking, and the angel of the Lord did not. Now, take note, the second phrase that Gabriel states after he says, who stands in the presence of God. He then states, I have been sent to speak to you, clarifying that why he's speaking and not the angel of the Lord. <laughs> he just said it himself. Rarely does the angel of the um, whatever seen in a vision like that, rarely does the angel of the Lord ever speak. Because you see that like in the book of Revelation, you have an angel sitting there talking and then just the angel of the Lord standing there quietly unless he, he's affirming something. That's exactly correct. Which is off the hook you, you, you bring that up. So with this in mind, Aaron, what is your, your conclusion? Or at least what is your opinion on this matter? I would say, yeah, uh, Holy Spirit. Because um, we could say that angels were made in the image of the Holy Spirit, while um, man was made in the image of God as the Trinity. And perhaps this is, this, is, this is the origin of the strife between Satan and man. Can I say this once again? Exactamundo. Exactamundo. <laughs> and people's just going to be dead in their tracks, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, you do know what the uh, Bible states uh, that angels most particularly are, don't you? It says that... A flaming uh, fire. That's right. That's what God said. God said, angels are flames of fire, i.e. they are reflections of the angel of the Lord. They're reflections of the uh, embodied Holy Spirit. We, however, we are made in God's image. So, uh, well, it, well, specifically in our image, that is all three members. 
and notice this in Psalm 33, verse 6. It said, "By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made." So this is this is pre-incarnate Christ. He makes the heavens. And by the breath, the word in Hebrew is is ruach or spirit. So the spirit of his mouth, all their host was made. So the angels were made up, made by the Holy Spirit. Well, let me say that again. Exactamundo. Hence, his angels are flames of fire. Uh, just that is the period at the end of the sentence. This is what causes all the consternation. And of course, we know that uh, much like the dove, the angels have what? Ah, yes. Swift wings. Uh, so, literally speaking... It's hard for everybody to get a grasp on this because when you go to articles, uh, much like I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, on uh, Blue Letter Bible, which this is the name of the article, Who is the Angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? It never brings this up that, wait a minute, uh, this is not pre-incarnate Christ. Oh, the evidence points to that this is a pre-embodiment of the Holy Spirit. This is an embodied Holy Spirit. Everybody likes to say disembodied spirit. Let's say that more wonderfully. Let's make that a more beautiful phrase. This is an embodied Holy Spirit. And then all the dots connect themselves. So, Aaron, your closing comments, please. Well, actually, you feel like um, this is the... I can be pretty sure on myself on this topic. I mean, who who this angel of the Lord really is. Um, all my confusion is pretty cleared up. I mean, I mean the, it would be quite arrogant of me to say that I've solved the, the riddle, but, I, but I'm pretty sure I have. Well, then uh, we should expect a paper on this, correct? Oh, my... <laughs> Yeah, I've flooded the papers. Uh, well, yeah, you need to you need to write this up. Um, of course, this will be admissible to one of your classes, uh, no doubt about it. So actually what you're doing is what your daddy used to do. I would actually do the homework before anybody assigned it. And then like uh, Prof. Uh, Williams, he'd be like scratching his head like, when did you write this? Uh, I wrote that three months ago, man. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you need to put this to pen. And uh, why don't you give us an update of how uh, life in an institution of higher learning is progressing so far? Well, um, here at Trinity Bible College, it's just an amazing, amazing place to be. I mean, I definitely recommend anybody planning to come to college um, for for um, for whatever reasons. Like, like if if you don't know for sure what 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 a vocation you want to go into. We have a program called uh, Pack Your Bags, where you basically you, you get your basics done, but you also go on missions trips to uh, like different parts of the country, as well as going into other countries. So uh, you do that, and while alongside you're doing that, you you they like teach you, put uh, let you go through uh, different vocations you might want to go into, um, and, and so it kind of helps you figure out what you want to do. 
As as for someone like me who wants to go into the ministry, they have a program called uh, uh, Accelerate, where you can get your master's in five years. So they they help you get a master's in five years. So that's pretty amazing. And not only that, just the community here is just amazing, very spirit filled. I mean, it's a Pentecostal place. I'm I'm not Pentecostal myself, but but it's very eye opening. And and like um like my gift has been the uh, my gift of the spirit is the discerning of spirits and being present here in, 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 on this campus is like being able like I can I can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit here and that was when I came to college days here to visit the college for the first time I knew this was the place I was going to come and it, it, it's amazing it's it's good it's healthy for you mentally spiritually so I so I really I really um, recommend it to anyone who's planning to come to college. It's a small college, I will warn you that, but, but, um, but yeah, if, if, so you might want to look into it. It's, it's amazing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go again. <laughs> Until next time, God bless. Godspeed.